All right. Well, thank you all for coming out. This is awesome to see everyone come out. This is a live episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Who's listened to an episode before? All right. There's a few hands, which is great. But for those of you who don't know, Front End Happy Hour podcast is really a group of us talking over drinks. As you can see, we have some drinks on stage. We talk about all things around technology, front end, design, a lot of great things. And it's just really a bunch of people talking about that. And that's what we do on every episode of the podcast. But I'm really excited to be here in Columbus, Ohio at Root Insurance talking with all of you. And today we are actually going to be talking about design systems. And we're joined by Ollie and Gibran to help us with that. Before we begin, do you want to give us a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? And I want to know what your favorite happy hour beverage is. Ollie, Ollie, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. I'm very shy. Okay, okay. Hey, everybody. (laughs) My name is Ollie. I'm a British designer. I live in the Bay Area. I've been designing things for about 15, 16 years now. I only design things that reduce suffering, things that reduce human suffering, basically. So that's things like... um, tools that are used by uh, the UN to work with refugees, robotic surgery platforms, things that stop the spread of epidemic diseases. It's topical. And at the moment, I am uh, head of design over a really cool nonprofit called Kiva. We work on empowering people, some of the poorest people around the world, through microloans. So any of us in the room can band together and make a loan to Uh, a person somewhere around the world who could do something with that money to improve their quality of life. How's that? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. My beverage. I I was going to say, you need to mention the beverage. My beverage is San Pellegrino. (laughs) Wait for it. And in here, uh, Mezcal, Del Mague Vida Mezcal. All right, Gibran, you can't avoid it. I can do do it. Hi, everybody. I'm Gibran. Uh, I lead product design at Root Insurance. We are a car insurance company that uh, is focused on basically making insurance significantly fairer. So we collect telematics data and price based on how well you drive and not based off of other demographic data as much as possible. We really want to focus on things that people have in control. And so before working at Root, I was also out in the Bay Area. I kind of started my career at a, a variety of tech companies. I w- used to work with Ryan and Netflix and uh, I'm really into whiskey right now. I, I feel like having be, now being in the Midwest, I feel like I have to get into whiskey. Kentucky is right right nearby, and so I'm like really getting into whiskey, bourbon, scotch, all of the whiskey adjacent and things. All good things, like really good things. <laughs> all right, and uh, let's also go around. Uh, it's just Stacy and I on the panel, the regular panel. But Stacy, you want to give an introduction of who you are? Sure, I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front end engineer at Atlassian. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. I also want to call out that as we're talking about design systems, I want you all thinking in the audience, what kind of questions do you want to have for us? Because at the end of the episode, we are going to open it up for questions. We'll give a good 10, 15 minutes for the audience questions. We have a nice mic set up here for you all. So it's you not can intimidating stand- at all. Not intimidating <laughs> at all. But yes, you will get to come up and ask us questions. Hopefully we can answer them. But yes, uh, in each episode, when we record a, a podcast, We actually like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And so we're going to do that uh, live on stage. (laughs) You're all welcome to join and also hold us accountable. Sometimes we miss it. We kind of get in the groove and forget to call it out. And you can just raise your glass and we'll try and remember. So what did we decide that keyword is? I think, if memory serves, it was relationship. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and if we add the S, like as plural, if that it's will relationships, 
multiple drinks <laughs> are <laughs> happening. That's a Whoa, first. I don't know if I agree to that, but okay, okay. I think it's happening. All right, all right, fair enough. All right. So yeah, you all hold us accountable. Like, there's an audience here that can actually call us out on it. Sometimes I feel like people tweet us after and be like, hey, you kind of missed like five times where that happened. So we actually have an audience to call us out on it. So that's good. All right, well, let's get started on design systems. I think there's a lot of words for it, but I'm curious, what is a design system, toolkit, what other words are there for it? So there's quite a few out there. What does it mean to you? I'm looking I'm at not, both I, you designers. I don't want to start on this. It's a big thing. Gibran, you go, uh, you, like dig, dig the grave that we'll be wow. lying in. Oh, this is a hard. I feel like they're a collection of rules that everyone ignores immediately after you finish. Is that not a good way to start this? <laughs> I, I thought that was the whole point is you follow those rules. I thought once it was decided upon, you follow the rules. Yeah, everybody's really good at that. Like, as soon as you're done, people are like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing all of this. There's nothing else going on. Let's move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it is a set of rules, I, I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, right? okay. definitely rules or guidelines or something kind of, I don't know how flexible... Uh, but some something that you follow. Is it rigid? Maybe. It can be. It depends on where you work. Ooh. All right, we might have to get into that too. Yeah, so I'm thinking I want to build, I'm going to yes and you, <laughs> designers. So, uh, so I think a set of rules, maybe ideally that come with elements or components that, I mean, it depends if we're talking about a, a, a design system that can really be used by Eng or not, as in there's like, real code that backs it or it's just dealing with kind of the intent and the visual intent versus the code. But I think if I'm looking at, a, I think a solid design system has descriptive elements about uh, what are the different features of the platform or the, the thing that we're applying the design to, maybe a set of components and descriptions of how you'd use those components. And also, um, ideally, do's and don'ts, I think, are really helpful, like demonstrative elements that help you understand this is how we'll actually implement this. I think the best style guides are actually, I think the worst ones are things that are for show and they live, they live on a blog and no one else and nowhere else. No one looks at it. Exactly. <laughs> and there's an announcement and that's it. And the best ones are ones that are actually living style guides that as a team, or even as, as whatever designers or developers working on a given platform, you're referencing all the time to kind of keep the quality of your work at, at a consistent place. Yeah, and then, and then maybe from like the engineering perspective, for me, a design system is something that is a bit more tangible, like what you're saying, that it's not just some words or some guidance, but it's maybe you know a, a, a manifestation of that in a React UI component library or some some tooling that you can use to to implement that. So you can say you know this this button is a shared thing across all of our products, and it's as simple as doing an import of that of that button. Yeah, I love that. Like to me, I I think Ollie also summarized it for me as consistency. Mm -hmm. I, I heard you say that, and I, that to me is always the important one. Is that why are we reinventing the wheel? I always think about that button that we've recreated like 10 different times or how many different colors of gray or black. Is there really multiple colors of black? Like it's just one. And, and it's like, why are we changing that? Like, let's keep that consistent. And if it does change, I'm always like, hey, well, that's great. If we have a design system, you can change it 10 different times, but at least it applies everywhere. Like if we actually have that system in place, especially on the engineering side, like you said, Stacy, is that there are components that we're now importing. And if it gets updated in one place, it gets updated everywhere. Mm -hmm. right. And like a really sophisticated one is like a feedback loop. A sophisticated design system is 
where engineers are doing things with the design system and building things with it, but also like, oh, I've, I reached a limit with this particular component and that feedback can go back to the design team and then everyone can kind of collaborate. Or like internal open source where you're like, oh, this component didn't meet my needs. I'm going to put up a PR to like expand the props or something and have a discussion about it with everybody to make sure that it makes sense to do where it's like a, yeah, a full circle. Living and breathing. Yeah. Ryan, I feel like you're giving me flashbacks to... Uh to Netflix. I'm like envisioning the conversations about button colors and shapes and corner radiuses. But mostly the word consistency is like a real trigger for me. And I don't know if this is maybe too much of a, of a very like esoteric deep cut, but my, when I was interviewing at Netflix, you know Todd Yellen. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. I think the first question he asked, he was like, tell me about what you think about consistency. Is it important? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How did you respond? <laughs> well, so I, I have like a lot of opinions. That opin sounds like a trap uh, question. <laughs> well, so, I, I, so I, I've gotten a lot of opinions on it since then. I feel like there's this, this like fine line that consistency can walk where consistency for consistency's sake can be really unpleasant and unhelpful. And so you have to figure out, I, I'm really curious how you all have approached kind of making sure that things are consistent for, for a valuable reason, for a way that's actually, it's more efficient or it's for user understanding. So like the classic example I always come back to is Android versus iOS icons. And I don't know, I don't even know where we are on these anymore. I feel like I'm stepping back five years or, or more. But there was this point where it was a really big deal to have the right icon on the right platform because you want people to understand the share button. That's the, that's the one. That's I don't think that's been answered. <laughs> I don't think that's been decided on. It's, it's still inconsistent. It's, it's different on each platform. Right, but it's consistent. As a brand, you want to have that consistent icon in your platform, right? Like you don't want to make up your own, like we shouldn't make our own root share icon. That would be bananas like it'd be much better to orient towards the one on the platform right because you want to make it easier for your users who are jumping across multiple applications well they could be on ios they could be on android doesn't really matter is you want them to understand like i'm coming to this oh that share icon i get that i don't maybe i want to share maybe i don't want to but i know what it does jabron you, you talk about netflix too and I, we do a ton of ab testing at netflix and it, i always feel like that's a little bit counterintuitive to the design system a bit because you're constantly iterating on something. You're saying, well, you know, everything's up for grabs. We're going to constantly test something. We're going to try something differently. But in the same vein, I think it's actually okay to have a design system where you're like, at least you have the baseline and that you have that implemented in your code. And if it changes, it changes. If it changes every like 10 Every 10 days it changes, it's fine. It gets updated everywhere and that you can test it. But I, I am curious from a design standpoint, do you feel like that puts you in a bit of a box if, if there is this design system that's saying, like, I have to follow these rules? Well, I feel like we're tennis, like this is a tennis match. I want to let someone else. Oh, oh, you look like I'm looking at both of you. I'm yeah, looking yeah. at both of you. Like <laughs> Stacy and I, or maybe I'm speaking for Stacy, but I feel like I'm like, yeah, I like when I just have something that's told to me. I'm like, yeah, I can reuse this component. I don't have to recreate that. It's, I mean, yes, it's all right. Yeah, it's, see, it's extremely nice as an engineer to to make a new screen, new whatever you're doing, and and be able to pick from sort of this Lego box of things and put them together. Um, it doesn't mean there still isn't design, and you have to like you know collab. You have to build relationships. Oh, I was trying to figure out how to get oh, that man. in. Cheers, finally. Cheers. Oh, thank you. That's Cheers. a double. That's more than one. That was plural, yes. But I do appreciate it. And it doesn't mean that it's not malleable, but it is very nice to start with that. It makes things much quicker. You can build things much quicker. 
I think uh, for me it, it becomes almost um, almost philosophical in terms of wh when do we break the rules and how do we think about that. So I I come to I'm going to come from a very designy standpoint to start off with. So I think about the grid and grid systems. So when as designers we we ideally we're building around a grid. You're laying down a grid when you start your work. Not always, but ideally you're starting and laying down around a grid. You're going to break the grid, and ideally, the more effective you get as a designer, the more effectively you can break the grid in meaningful ways. But when you do break the grid, it's not just for the sake of it, it's very, very intentional. So if we lay that out over an entire design system, I think those times when we uh, contradict the design system or go beyond the bounds of the design system, these should be very, whether we're eng or whether we're designed, these should be very thoughtful, intentional moments. We should at least, even on an individual basis, understand why am I doing this? What is the purpose in doing this? What am I going to bring to this, this feature or this design or this implementation? And what am I taking away or what am I losing? Or even, I like thinking in terms of debt as well. Am I causing debt at this point? Am I causing design debt? Am I causing dev debt? By doing this? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what in my head when I was like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that <laughs> later on. Definitely that's a benefit. Is like not it, it does help avoiding debt. What are some other benefits that each of you see for I mean design and engineering? What are some benefits? We all strive for doing these design systems for a reason, but why? Well, I, I think that one of the I mean, I feel like another uh, variation on consistency that's a little bit less. A little bit less, I don't know, maybe that feels a little self-serving to me is the other side of it, which is a single voice for the user, right? A single brand voice for the user. I think one of the things that's hardest to, to tell, especially through A-B testing, is what's the impact of an experience that changes from screen to screen to screen? I feel like I've run through a number of, of you know, everywhere that I've ever worked, every screen is slightly different because your product tends to represent the silos of, or the teams that are building them. And so in its ideal state, I think why a lot of designers want to tackle a design system is this is a way that we can have a consistent voice through our entire experience. I like that you said that too, because you're right. Like it sometimes feels like it's, we're passing things over a wall. It's like, well, we've created this for this experience and it, it works really well, but haven't thought about it holistically across and saying, why is this button red and this one's black? And there's usually no rhyme or reason. It was just like, well, that designer did it that way, and that designer did it that way. I think one thing I've seen it do at Atlassian is when you're working on products and new features for a particular product, you spend, the designers and the engineers spend more time on the thing that's particular to the product. So they're not having those discussions about what does the primary button look like or the subtle exactly. button look like? Mm -hmm. they're, they're not spending time on that anymore because that's already been figured out. And so it's more about like, as an example for, for Bitbucket, it's like, what should our diff component look like on a pull request? And why should that be unique? And what, 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 what matters there? And so they're having those discussions as opposed to kind of the, the common stuff. Yeah, I kind of, uh, when I start out thinking about this, if we're, if we're going to build a design system, I want to start out, uh, why are we doing this? What's the problem that we're solving? What's the goal here? I think this stuff can get really almost kind of masturbatory and kind of, uh, it, like internal and mm -hmm. people just doing the thing for the sake of doing the thing and not not the reason beyond that. What is the, who are we trying to help? What's the goal? By doing this. And it becomes like, do you know that um, an engine Google introduced me to this term? It's like yak shaving. 
You know that idea? Yes. You know, no, you no, explain it, it please. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard this one. You haven't? You haven't? I feel like I have, but I, I can't, I definitely can't define it. I've heard the term, but I'm like, yeah, I have no It's idea. like, oh, I need, to, <laughs> I need to do this one thing. I need to add a, I don't know, I need to add a button to this page. Like, I keep using the button example, but it's very easy. Because we've all dealt with the button a yeah. million times. But, Damn but, but instead of the button, it's like, oh, I, I imported the button and I ran the build and something failed in the build. Oh, it's because my yarn version isn't up to date. Oh, I need to upgrade yarn. Oh, wait, I, like, something in your operating system stopped working. It's just like you're digging deeper and deeper and deeper away from, like the actual thing you were trying to do. And then eventually, like hours later, you come back to it and be like, okay, there's the button. And what was I doing again? Yeah. So mm -hmm. they, what you, does that have to do with yaks? I'm very confused. So I think it's something like in oh, I can't quite remember. It was like in order to make a shave the Oh yeah, in order to make a sweater out of yak yarn, you've got to if you rewind that process, yes. you start off you probably start off you need a Why yak. are you making You need a farm for the yak. You need a farm. You need to move out to where there are yaks. Yeah, I have no idea where that where happens. Where are the yaks? Don't I don't have, know. They but don't I guess you're right. If I need to do that, I need to figure out where the yaks are. Yeah. Okay, okay. I, I'm I'm following a bit. I don't know why I would want a yak set with sweater, but yeah. Okay. They're really soft and durable. Oh shit. Okay. All right. Obviously. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk after. I need to More figure out where I can get my yak sweater. That sounds good. Now, I mean, we've kind of talked some benefits. I, I honestly, every time I tackle, I've worked at many different companies working on trying to accomplish a de design system. I actually don't know if I've ever accomplished it. Uh, so maybe that's part of the problem. There's a lot of challenges that come with trying to build a design system. And I'm curious, like I have a lot of opinions on this, but I want to hear all three of you too, is like, what are some of the challenges that come trying to implement a design system? I feel like going back to kind of the conversation about inconsistent buttons throughout an experience. And I feel like we're missing a voice here, which is the product manager. And that, that voice ends up being kind of these different levels where one of them is the PM whose voice is always in the back of my head that says, we can't make that button red. That feels like an error. And then I'm like, well, but our, brand color is red so yeah you I worked mean, at netflix it, i mean it should be i think red, you all right? know like, it's like which i've always struggled with too it's like oh is that an error no it's our brand color and so then i'm like well but i mean she, she kind of has a point like yeah that, that experience a red kind of i mean if you're doing a sign-up funnel and you have a red button that feels a little bit out of it's a little weird wait um, how do you how whoa, that just blew my mind <laughs> How do you deal with that at Netflix? What color are the buttons in the sign-up funnel? They're, what they're happens red. with error validation? They're red. orange. The errors are orange. Yeah. I can't I mean, remember the color is, anymore, it, but they're orange. It's tough, too. And even to Jabon's point, I love the, the fact that you brought up sign-up flows. Because, like, I mean, how many people are Netflix subscribers here? That's a, a, a big amount of the room. <laughs> All right. That's good. Happy that you are subscribed to Netflix. But, I mean, there's not many people that are going through the sign-up flow. And so when you think about it, coming through the Wait, sign did you up, just say there are not many people who are going through the sign-up flow? Well, they already have. They're not going through oh, it the again, current, again. Oh, they're not going through yeah, it yeah. again. Yeah, no. There's people going through the sign-up flow. But <laughs> the thing is, is like when you think about it, it's the people, all the people in here, we're talking about it, there already are members. And they're like, oh, yeah, right, Netflix okay. brand is red. But if you're a new person coming to it, it's like, wait a second, why is this button red? And it is kind of weird. 
Like yeah. it, it is, it's a tough problem to have. Well, now we're getting into sort of an interesting brand conversation that attaches, kind of, like design systems kind of funnel from, which is like, Absolutely. How, how does your brand change from the way you talk to people who are not currently a member of your product, and then once they become a member of your product? Oof. And that and should that change? But that goes back to the like point of that's the fence. I feel like that's where you're like, oh yeah, we're just toss that over. It's like, <laughs> and, and to the, the, the user going through that, they're like, did I just join two different companies? They don't know because it does feel different. And because it's probably different designers, different engineers, it oftentimes, that's where it diverges. Hence design system. <laughs> right. You just does it solve the mind. problem, right? <laughs> Maybe. So, so going back to your question about problems, I feel like one of the most important things about design systems is when you get started, or one of the things that I feel like it can expose is, do you have a good relationship between... Cheers. <laughs> cheers. I was actually going to... like I took a sip here. I'm like, are we having that soon? <laughs> cheers. 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 You're all welcome to join, too. Yeah, everyone. Cheers. cheers, everyone. Mm. But uh, before you start working on it, is there a good relationship between design, engineering, and product management? Or is that something you're going to trial by fire? I, I feel like if you start that relationship... If you start... Wow, you're killing us, I know. Dude. Sorry. Let me... So many. Oh, what? Cheers. So cheers. <laughs> but if you start with a bad, I don't know another word. Collaboration. Uh, if you're not good, at, yeah. If your partnership isn't good when you start, building a design system will expose all of your, your communication problems. Because what you start to have is all of these people who are talking past each other about a thing that they want. Um, I feel like the way that I've, I've seen a lot of these start is where either design or engineering, it's never product management, but either design or engineering says we have to have a design system or a component library or a toolkit. And then that group starts work running with it. And a lot of the time, either the designer engineer, whoever wasn't involved, gets left behind. And there's never a conversation about what this is solving for both groups. And I think that's a thing that can be a really big challenge to, to cross. I think also, this, is, uh, this might be a personal bias, please challenge me on this if this sounds wrong, but often I feel like design is doing the design system for the wrong reasons, and Eng wants the design system for the right reasons. Mm. As in, Eng wants the design system because it's going to make life easier to, to build designs and to implement things. Then why is design Design wants to do the design system because it's fun to like build a design system. I'm the designer. Ah. I'm, I'm, no, no, I love I'm that you're saying, saying that, that as a designer. And, well, and my impression. Because it's nice. I get to be creative. No, it's but not, my impression on the engineering side is like, I've always thought it was like designers want consistency. And so this makes sense to me. But you're saying it's on like, the surface level. Oh, yeah, no, I'm really, like, they just they want wanna, consistency. We, it's not even it's not even the, the fun of making it. It's the blog post. Yeah. It's like, I really <laughs> hope we can get into those mailing lists. The fame of like, yo, <laughs> I created this shit. We're good. Yeah, that's why we put such effort into naming our design systems. I appreciate the cool design names. Like even Stacy mentioned Lego blocks. I'm like, yeah, that's a good name. Lego style guy. Didn't we have that? I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, like, I mean, I love the creativity in the name. That's fine. But I always thought it was more for consistency. You're telling me it's not? No, I, th I think that it is for consistency. I think there's a lot. This has been on my mind a lot. I think there's an immense amount of ego in design. Yeah. I don't want to speak French, no, but never. in design. So, um, so, and I think one of the places where we'll see that arise is in, I've had so many designers come to me and say, I want to, I want to build a design system. I'm like, what, why? Like to explain why are we ready? Are we at that place? Do we have, where's our debt at? Where's our credit at? Where, what are resources looking like? What asking the really, really tough questions first 
about why are we doing this? Why do we need this? What does it mean cross-functionally? What does it mean organizationally? And then, and then, yeah, exercise your ego and have fun doing it. Yeah, because it's not cheap to do it. It, not, it, not. it is not cost-free. You have to have uh, a dedicated design team that is working on building that thing. You have to have a dedicated engineering team that is building those reusable components, and they have to be staffed appropriately. They have to um, be able to not only build the thing initially, but then support it and maintain it and change it over time. Um, think strategically about it to expand it, and all of that takes quite a few people. That you, so your company has to be ready to put a decent amount of money towards it and and be all in on it. That's actually one that I've always struggled with. Is like, how do you actually create it? It's like I think we can all sit here and say, hey, this is great, let's do this. But how do we actually create it? I think of two approaches. I always thought on the engineering side is like. You stop work on on actually shipping features, which you, you mentioned PMs. I think both of you mentioned that. Okay, well, our PMs going to be down for that. Where we're like, we're not shipping any features for the next six months because we are going to build something, this toolkit that is going to help us in the long run. So it's, that's one approach: is you stop all development or all designing and you just focus on this. Or depending you, on resources. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah, no. I, I, like I'm, I'm thinking we, we might over at Kiva. I'm really thinking what happens if we outsource because we have a very small internal team, outsource the design system, and we just manage directing it internally. Because otherwise, yeah, we're gonna. That's have an to interesting stop point too. Is like you could actually resource that, like set the direction and let someone else do it. Well, that terrifies me. It does too. Like anytime you add contractors, like you're now managing those people that are outside of your world too. It. I I feel like what I would get, and I have a number of uh, my designers sitting here in the audience, but I feel like what I would get from all of the designers on my team when we outsource is why don't I get to do that fun work? Which is the ego. <laughs> That's the thing I'm talking about. So you're just you're just like nah, I don't care about your. You, I you mean, the big thing for me is like leave your ego at the when we actually start doing the work. Maybe that's that's normal for other people, but especially having a bunch of the work I've done is what I call humanitarian design. As in when you the thing you design, if you fail, people can be hurt. People will be suffering if you make a mistake. And so it becomes really, really important to encourage collaborators to really like leave your ego outside of the door because we're trying to help people now. And so I've kind of taken that into less high-risk situations, but I still feel really strongly about that. Well, I, I feel like the other side of it, the less ego-driven side, is the and maybe I'm over over-indexing on a design system is really is a brand is a is your product and your brand and product. But how do you kind of get a, a con, maybe we're getting a rabbit hole now? But like, how do you get a contractor or an outsourced person to really deeply understand that? Um, what you stand for relative to the people who work for you who like live and breathe it every day. Right. I think that's, that's a hard question. That sounds really <laughs> difficult. That's a conflict. That's tough. And I feel like then again, someone's got to manage that too. Like someone has to spend the time on there. And, and I think another methodology that I've taken is, oh, well, every new feature, let's just implement this uh, style guide or design system. We'll just start doing that way. It works. It takes forever. And then there's those old dusty corners that you're like, oh, yeah, we didn't touch that because nobody we, we don't really spend a lot of time on there. And so then that never gets updated. So I don't that doesn't work that well either. It's really a hard problem. I don't have the perfect solution. 
I wish we had like all the time in the world to solve it. And I'm curious, like, what is the right solution? If you're to create a design system today, you look at your code base, you look at your designs and you're like, we need to create more consistency. We need to build some great relationships between design and engineering. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. How do you do that? I think, at least from an engineering perspective, I feel like it's, more, it's easier than ever to actually create shareable things. I've been doing stuff for the web for quite a long time, and it was quite difficult to actually write something that was easily shareable. And so we have things like React, as an example, makes it easy to write a component and, and isolate that stuff to that component. We have NPM, we have places to publish things that could be shareable very easily. So now more than ever, it is quite e easy to make something that could be shareable. And so if you can start tiny, I mean, do the button, like... It well, doesn't. The, button, it, the button's it, a win. It can be I, very low, saying. low risk, low maintenance. Like there's that shareable thing within like a couple lines of code and publishing, and then con consumption. Well, I, I think the other side of it is how do you leave it open to like to allow for more for continued innovation. Mm -hmm. like, I think one of the biggest challenges that I have with a design system is does it become a crutch that either design or the engineering team can't design without it? Like one of the things that scares me the most is when a design team is now wireframing in the design system? Are they just dragging and dropping components from the library? Why, why does that scare you? Well, because I, I think that it very quickly limits you to what exists already. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that, you know, I think as designers, we've spent the last, I'm going to say at least 10 years, trying to get away from being responsible for the pixels and trying to get more responsible for the experience. And the thing that, that's always frustrating me about design systems is that their designer is saying, after all of that work of saying we don't want to be responsible for the pixels, saying no, what really matters is the pixels. And so I think it's okay to, to build a design system that helps you get away, but I think you need to get to, this is to help us get away from the pixels. And it can't just be, let's just drag and drop components and use that to, to build things because you can't get stuck in what you thought of a year ago isn't necessarily going to work for what you need to build now. Or the, or the argument from the engineer is going to be... Um, oh, it's deviating from the components that I have available to me. That's going to take too much time. And then you're like, well, we need to ship this by you know, a certain time period. Oh, and then balancing those trade-offs and trying to have well, those discussions. I feel like now you're saying that designers need to build a strong relationship with their It's like a relationship. It's, it's really about people. It's weird how that works. It's about people. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> No, I think that is a really, there is an interesting thing around, I think this is a thing that I've learned kind of as my career has gone on, is how much designers need to understand the core of what engineers are doing. I think a lot of designers will start their career and they're like, oh, I don't care about HTML, I don't care about CSS, I don't care about the tools that, that engineers are using. And the more that a designer can understand those tools as quickly as possible, the more they can have a real conversation with their engineering partners, and the more they can understand where their engineers are coming from. It's that empathy with that partner that I think that's how you build something that's actually useful. It's not, it, this is a tool that serves both of us. It's not a thing that one of us is going to use to block the other one when we don't want to do something. I, but I think it goes both ways too. Like, I think like, I love that you said that, but I think it's also like, Gibran, if you're, you and I are working on building a feature, I look at it as like, we also have to talk about like, I have to share that information with you as well is to try and help shape that. It's like, here's why that may not, may or may not work. Or, hey, okay, that works on mobile, but how does that scale up as we talk about all you mentioned the grid is like, how does that scale up to desktop and, and really showing and demonstrating that and talking through that? I think it goes both ways. It really is collaboration. collaboration. It's, it's, it's we're, we're good. But jumping back to that innovation point, I don't, I think there's something there that, that kind of bothered me a little in terms of 
I don't know that a designer designing with it, like dragging and dropping elements of the style guide is the failure mode for innovation. Uh, I, I like, think, do you think it's like you're not being able to innovate or? No, no I, I think you're getting to a really interesting place that talks that, that I, I started to think about is the age of your company or the, the maturity of your product mm-hmm. is a really huge component of when to do this and why. Um, and, and maybe this is a little bit of, of my, I don't know if bias is the right word, but maybe a little bit of my bias is I'm working at a much newer company than, than all of you. But a lot of the experiences that, that Root will, will design over the next hopefully long period of time that we continue to exist are things that we haven't thought of yet. Like there's most of the stuff that we're building now is, is probably not going to exist in a few years because we'll have completely reinvented it. We'll be building completely new things. And so there's a really huge gap, right? When I worked at Netflix, we, you know, making the sign up flow better was a huge win for the company. Um, but it was still a sign up flow, right? Like it was still the same thing. And I think we did a really amazing job making it better for our customers. It wasn't about inventing an entirely new way for people to sign up. It was making sign up better. Um, whereas, you know, now that I'm working at a much younger company for the first time in my career, so many things that we're doing are going from zero to one. And so our design system isn't necessarily going to serve the products we haven't built yet. There's something there, though, where I think I agree with you 100%, but I think the the failure mode for innovation isn't in terms of people dragging, designers dragging and dropping components or Eng being able to use those components or not. I think it's something more uh, philosophical in terms of are the designers approaching the work they do and using the design system in such a way that they can identify the, the delta between what is possible today and what could be possible given question mark. Given right. Like else. I think it's like why recreate that? We come back to the button, but it's so easy. The button the input field, it's like just take those components and put them together and then create something that's abstract that you're like, this is brand new. But it's like some of those pieces, you don't need brand new pieces to test that hypothesis. You really don't. Well, I think that's where like the button ends up being kind of this red herring as part of this conversation, right? Like the button is an easy thing to to pick one and say, all right, our corner radiuses are this many pixels and that's good. Like you're never really going to need to change that. And and you can change it. You can change it 10 times. (laughs) I don't care. It's never going to matter. I mean... On the engineering side, I'm like, I just want one consistency where I'm like, I can call that. I'm like, yeah, cool. But I got rules around that. The other side of it is, is say, so for Netflix, the video player is a great example of that's a place where you want to be able to keep innovating, right? Like you don't want to say this is our style guide for a video player. And I think that's kind of the, where it starts. These things start to get dangerous. To your point on the user aspect too, is like, do you want to change that every time? Like that could be difficult too for the user is if you're constantly changing that that could be that could be hard i mean i saw the hands in this room they might be like oh man they keep changing the player this but you you are gonna have a cohort though you're not gonna change it for everyone so there's only gonna like them in the corner oh, yeah, over there yeah, yeah. you change it just for the, them. only those like five not, people up front who sat up front yeah you, the up front <laughs> you get the new stuff everyone else gets the yeah yeah else. so you're right but i mean we have to think about those things is like how's this affecting our users I think that's important too. Maybe to help this conversation a little bit, I think um, in terms of like still allowing for innovation in a design system, one thing that I think that is kind of cool about what Elastian has done is that we have our implementation of the design system called Atlas Kit. It used to be that it was just the design system and it was just one thing, but now individual products can contribute back to it. It always has been the case, but there's now like sort of side buckets for it. So you could say, 
for Bitbucket as an example, we need this component that is uh, how to display code in, in a pull request. We iterate on that, and, and it's not as official as some of the, it hasn't gone through some of the same vetting as some of the things that are truly going to be shared across everybody, but we're still putting it in the same repository, we're still putting it in the same place that everybody can see, and so maybe like another product spins up that's like, oh, I wanna, I wanna show a diff, I don't know why, but you know, they might, um, we're gonna use it, and then they start contributing back to it, and maybe it becomes part of the base set of things, but it allows for innovation in a way that's like not so restricted to the like very specific definitions of a design system, but still lets people see things that are being innovated on, and then mm -hmm. they kind of iterate into the main thing, which I think is kind of cool. Very cool. I want to start make sure we leave room for questions to the audience, but before we go into that, I feel like we talk about this as like there's there's a lot going on here. What can you all give advice for? We've all worked in. Like I said, I, I don't know if I've successfully accomplished this, but we've worked in companies where we've tried to either implement a design system or we have. What advice would you give someone who's like, I'm starting from day one, how do I do that? I, I think the I think the biggest thing is like lean into flexibility, like focus on what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Why is that problem important? Um, I think these are these are the things that every designer, every engineer, every product, everyone working in tech says that this is what they care about. But a lot of the time we forget it when we actually start building something. And I think if you don't start with this is the problem we're trying to solve by building this, it's really easy to go on all these wild goose chases. Hmm. I'd say like write it down. Make like I love Google Documents, and maybe that's my Netflix experience at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's totally from Netflix. Uh, you but mean like Confluence from Atlassian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally. You know, we we used Confluence, and then we switched. I shouldn't. Sorry, I'm just. Kidding. I remember those old Confluence days. <laughs> we use Confluence at Kiva. It's okay. But, uh, but like seriously, I think it's really important to like when you start working on. I mean, anything, but like design systems, something as cross-functional as a design system, something that 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 like leans on how good your relationship. Cheers. Uh, oh. <laughs> that was well suited. Um, write down the problem you're trying to solve at the beginning and make sure you, you continue to address that. Like go back to it. Yes. Make sure everyone agrees with it and continues to agree with it. Check in on it. Is it still real? Is it still true? I love that. I think that's great. I kind of want to build on that. I think um, maybe mine applies to all of design, but maybe especially here with design systems. Just and, and I'm just speaking to designers here. I don't want to speak to Eng. Leave your ego at the door. Like, remember, why, why are we doing this thing? What was the reason that we chose to do this? Why are we using this organization's resources on this particular project? How is it going to help my peers? How is the, the eventual outcome of the project, and cross-functional peers, by the way, not just in design, how is the eventual outcome of the project going to help people who use the things that we make. Leaving your ego at the door means becoming more sensitive to all of the different factors, all of the intersectional factors that will play into the work that you're doing and make it make you remember why you're building the thing initially, who you're building it for, and make you use the, the resources that you have, the infrastructure, the people, uh, the technology, make you use that in a more responsible way. This isn't an exercise in creativity. This is really an exercise in a functional object or a functional artifact that the team will use going forward to kind of superpower their work, hopefully, for a very long time. 
Wow, that was very well stated. <laughs> Thank you. I know, I'm like, plus one, that one. <laughs> uh, your original question was like how you get started. I think I like what I like about what I've seen at Atlassian is that idea of what I mentioned before, where it is internal open source, external open source. It was, it's externally open sourceable to make sure that there's always that conversation happening. It has to be like from the very beginning, it's, it's the uh, description of what something should be and then the engineering implementation of it and that feedback loop always happening and, and, and making that important so that there's never a one-way, it's a never a one-way conversation of you, the design system is this and you shall use it like this. It's like, no, take feedback from the people implementing the design system and the challenges that they're experiencing trying to consume it um, and making sure that it's always being heard and listened to and getting better. I think my last comment, because it's, it's hard, you guys all give great advice. I think there needs to be clear collaboration between design and engineering. A relationship. Yeah. I have food that, in my that mouth. might be the best way to call. put it. <laughs> Thanks, Stacy. <laughs> Cheers. But I think that's a really important for like alignment between the two teams because I, I have seen it where design is like, yes, let's create this design system. And then engineers like, yeah, yeah, we don't care. Or vice versa. And I don't think it works unless you're both bought into it. So I think that's really important is the collaboration. Side. Yeah, to, to be like really strategic about it. So like you, if you're not, it ends up being these one-off changes. And so eventually, like as an example for a component that you've built, the props become tw 20 props later. Oh, it's very flexible. It's an incredibly flexible do, component. And you're like, anything. Ah. yeah, no, you're right. We can do so many things. And you're like, wait, yeah. why? Why? So this is a point where I want to open it up to the rest of you is to the audience. What kind of questions do you have about design systems, engineering or design related? I'm a Hi, Mike. front end engineer at WebDev Studios. And I come from a background in design, so one of the things I feel like I struggled with the most was how do you overcome your brand's like difficulties for accessibility, mm -hmm. especially with engineering and designers? So I think actually where design systems work really well for accessibility uh, because you're actually thinking about the problem is like it goes back to the consistency where we can think about that problem and so it's like whether it's a button it's form inputs we're all thinking about that as like what does it look like how does it interact we can actually really embed accessibility right in there and i actually think we didn't really talk about that that to me is actually a benefit is accessibility ends up being better for it i don't know if that helps answer the question but i think design systems end up helping it as an example uh at atlassian for atlas kent one of the engineers on on that um was incredibly passionate about accessibility, is really good at it. And so sometimes it might be hard to like convince people to hire someone who's really good at that at like a product level. Maybe like, oh, but there's one person for the entire company. Okay, cool. If there's one person for the entire company that's really, really amazing and deep in accessibility and for front end, that they live on the team that's building your design system and then everyone gets it for free. That's huge. That's so huge. It doesn't mean that they everyone still doesn't need to learn about it and understand it, but it's built in and you get it and then it's like And yeah. your users get it. Like yeah, it's and the like users built get it. In. And that's massive. I actually go a different way. No, I, I agree with both of you. Oh, you're but not I go <laughs> I go a different way in my response, which is um I'm I really I love going to therapy. 
And I love a really different way with my response. Are you like drinking <laughs> therapy or what? What is this about? I love going to therapy. So, <laughs> so something I'm really into is what, why do we use the language that we yeah. use? Why did we say something the way that we said it? And I noticed you talked about overcoming the brand. And so I would almost, there's, there's a completely different answer, but I almost start there. Like if we're already, whether we're design or eng, if we're already in a position where we're struggling against our brand, we might, we might not have placed ourselves in the ideal position to build on top of or innovate with the brand. And I, and I do think it's actually, in this case, it's even just an, a philosophical adjustment in kind of saying, wait a minute, I'm in this empowered position to move with the brand, to grow the brand, to innovate with the brand and build on top of it as opposed to I am struggling against the legacy of what has been built. So I'd almost nudge you to kind of think of it in that way. I don't feel like I have anything. I feel like y'all covered that really well. Thank you. I don't feel like I have anything. Thank you. Like I think that's a good thing. I could just say the same thing you all said, but I don't <laughs> think like that's useful. Hopefully that was helpful. All right. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm one of the designers on Bronstein's. I like your area. tattoos. Thank you. Um, we can talk about tattoos later. We have a whole tattoo conversation yeah. tonight. All right. So one of my questions is, is you actually touched on it a little bit, and it was one of the things in the last company I worked for, we had just implemented our design system, and we had a component and it had probably like 20 different flags on it that it was like this massive thing and what do you what as an engineer what do you do in that situation like do you start breaking it apart do you just leave it is it like it like we always had a really big struggle about what to do it was a card component yeah which you know the card sometimes has flags and sometimes it needs different text and sometimes it needs different images and we were just like this one card will serve 30 purposes what if- oh, that's <laughs> a great it's such a good question because it's definitely a problem we always deal with yeah, there's always that one component called yeah. the card component and it's Unfortunately, it's not just one component either. It never is. <laughs> all the components have this problem. How many cards do you all have? Stacey's going to answer. Uh, Alice Kid has no card component. And so um, Bitbucket, actually, we built our own card component. So we don't have that quite problem. We don't have that problem with our card component. But well, good for you. How do you not? I mean, well, because only Bitbucket's using it, right? And it's not all <laughs> the products and everybody trying to add all of their various use cases to it. Uh, I think if you're at that point, I think you have to start looking at it. If you can, I don't know if you, do you, do you get stats? Do you get, um, metrics at all about like how it's being used and consumed? That's probably very sophisticated. I don't know. Like I, I think, I, I think of it that way. It would be really, really interesting to have some sort of, uh, metrics or stats about how this component is actually consumed. What props is it using and why? Like, What's the most common, like, combinations of those things that are being used? And then maybe, like, step back and, and say, oh, actually, like, of these 30 things that are possible, only three of them actually are used very frequently. So let's pair it back, which is a hard thing to do because you have to, it's deprecation. And that's not easy. Like, products don't want to refactor. They're like, oh, deprecation is terrible. But if you can show maybe some data around it to say, like, oh, like, there's really only these three patterns and then and kind of pair it back that way I think would be an interesting sort of engineering way to approach how it's used. I also, I, I really like that a lot and I, I don't think it should just be an engineering way. I agree with you so much and I think I'm a big, after I went to Google and I learned, there's so much data yeah. available to you 
you can take so many signals in to make the decisions that you're, you're making around design. I really shifted in a big way to where, whether we call it data-driven design or evidence-based design, that angle. So um, I would really look at it that way. Like I, Just a big, big, big plus one to that. Mm -hmm. Yes, we should be, as designers, we should be super responsible. Let's go and get data to back whatever decisions that we're making and to inform our choices. I, I like that. I, I don't think, I think I'm getting way far away from the question, but uh, I think this is a really great opportunity to plug one of my favorite things that I learned. Um, I'm maybe digging too deep into the Netflix well, but uh, one of the things that I loved the most uh, that I learned there was this concept of a barnacle. And so this, this idea of, I don't know if you all have talked about this before on your podcast. Barnacles? No. Uh, so this was, <laughs> I mean, tech barnacles? It's probably come up, but maybe not in that term. There, I, I think that this term was coined by uh, Eddie Wu. Um, I'm pretty sure that he's the one who's who I learned that from, and I think he's the one who, he's a PM at Netflix. Uh, I don't, it's been a while since I worked there. But this idea of, of barnacle is basically this, um, Relentless pursuit of like things, making sure the things that exist in your product are still actually useful. And so a lot of, a lot of companies will A-B test something and if it's flat, they'll roll it out because they like it. And at Netflix, we were really rigorous about if it's not a positive, if it's not a win, we don't roll it out because we didn't want to have, you know, a flat test means that you are now maintaining that the result of that test. Um, and so I think that that touches on this or it's a thing that I really, I take really seriously is like, let's not ship anything that's not actually useful. And measurably useful, and let's cut everything that's not. So, you, going back to what you asked, Sarah, like let's cut everything that doesn't actually deliver value. And that, to me, has been a thing that I've held really, really dear and inside. Like it's always in the back of my head is Eddie's voice. Like, is this a barnacle? Is this a thing that's actually beneficial, or am I just trying to keep this in because I really like it? Yeah. Um, how do I have that that rigor around? And maybe like gathering data is such a like also like a privilege thing like if you work for a very big company that has the capabilities to have all these kind of metrics and systems that you can use to analyze like mm -hmm. you might be working for a small place that doesn't have that capability so maybe just search through your code base you know all i would all i would say to that is like if you're working at a small company and you're not collecting data make an effort to collect that data get make that a thing that you care about someone needs to care about it because like you will be hopefully you're going to become a big company and you're yeah. going to want to run a b test and you're going to want to know what your users are doing you need to start from the beginning but also it's not it's not just the the stats or the metrics built into the product especially when you're a designer you should ideally i don't like using the word should but ideally you have some kind of you're building your capacity for UX research or ethnography or something like that. Ideally, you're making decisions based on some kind of evidence uh, or recommendations based on some kind of evidence that you can gather somehow, whether it's desk research or making phone calls or literally, uh, we called it cafe studies at Google, but walking out onto the street and just asking people questions. Like, oh, I love that. Go get data. There are people all around us. All right, one more question. So my name is Zach. Uh, so uh, my design question would be, how much or how little do you use from your competition in your space? And how do you use that to either decide what you should do, what you shouldn't do? And kind of like going back to like share buttons where you want that familiarity, but you also want your brand to be unique. So like, how do you use that in your competition? Ali, I feel like you question. keep saying my name and asking me to answer first. Jabron, so, do you have thoughts on this? I think you should go first. That was tricky. <laughs> That was nicely done. Um, so I think ideally we're looking around at the work other people have done and trying to build on what we, what our best guess 
is a best practice, basically. So if you see, there's a reason, just to make a really broad sweeping example that we'll all know, there's a reason there's, there's a certain kind of setup or funnel on Amazon.com. There's something there that is working for them that it, within that funnel that perhaps we can learn from. And then a great way, this almost goes to research, a great way of verifying that perhaps is to then go and look at, I don't know, walmart.com and every, jet. I think jet.com just shut down, but a bunch of other competitors and so on. No? I don't know what jet is. I think it's like a, well, it does we'll talk about that. <laughs> so my, my point being, at the same way, I'd go and look at what, what are the apps that are doing the thing that does the thing we want to do already? And, and what are the ones that really resonate with us and really seem to get me to the thing that I want quickly and which are the ones where I feel a lot of friction uh, as I'm moving through that journey. So I, I, think, um, I don't think that should be the only data point, but that, that should definitely be a point of reference. Go and look at how other people are solving the problem that you're trying to solve. A little bit on top of that is like, I also don't know that just because like you, you mentioned like Walmart or, or Amazon, uh, something might work differently for each of those companies. And so mm -hmm. it's like data is important. I'm a, I love data. Like I love that we, <laughs> I mean, part of the reason I joined Netflix is because we do so much A-B testing and you get data informed decisions. Uh, and, and part of it is really understanding of like, what works for the specific use case? What works for this like user at this time? This user might be a person who goes and shops on Amazon. They might be a, someone who goes and shops on Walmart. They might sign up for Netflix, but they don't necessarily always work. So like if I worked at Amazon, I'm like, hey, this really resonated with our customers. Uh, and then I go join Netflix and I'm like, oh, yeah, this really worked it doesn't necessarily always work for that particular customer. And to me, so like that's where the data informed decisions really come into play. And so I love that you brought it up. You're like, yeah, data informed decisions. And I'm like, yeah, they don't necessarily work across each. I, each I think you're right. Company. And I think the way, the way that we talked about data, at least at Google was signals. Yes. So this is, that's one signal. Yeah. And can we find other signals that verify or contradict the, the assumption or the direction that we think we're going in? So I think also knowing everything isn't always true, even if we see it to be so. And this is open to testing in your own world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the other side of it is, is, I mean, the way that I feel like designers talk about that, I mean, the, we, use, we have very specific words we use with competitive research. And I think that like your decisions should be driven to some extent by competitive research that you're doing. Like you should be looking at what your competitors are doing. Why do you think they're doing it and, and whether or not that works? And I think depending on the age of your company, you'll be able to, like there were a number of things at Netflix where I was, I saw, Oh, Amazon does this. Should we try it? Uh, cause I trust Amazon. I believe that, you know, if there's a company that I know that AB tests, it's Amazon. And so if they were doing something, I figured that must work and I would, I'd love to try that. And then I get to see, like, does this work for us? But if you're a younger company, there's still a ton that you can learn from what your competitors are doing, especially if you're competing in a space that has incumbents, right? So, you know, for us, we're an insurance company. It would be, it would be bananas for me to say that, like, Nationwide doesn't know what they're doing. Like, clearly they're going to know, they know how to sell insurance. They were doing it for, I don't know, a hundred years. 
maybe maybe more, maybe less, a, a long time. So I obviously want to look at them and say, there, there's something they're doing that's working and what can I learn from that? And then the, the value of that is as a competitor to those companies, I can, I can learn based on what they're doing well, how can I leapfrog them and make it better? Because I can move faster than they can. One of the things that, so, so my, my partner is a product designer and I'm an engineer, so we have very nerdy conversations all the time about how we build things and why. And some of it is like, don't innovate on the things that are the commonplace things. So like the share button, I think someone mentioned. Don't try and innovate on that. Like spend your time somewhere Keep else. Keep it consistent. Yeah. The consistency good there. Like there's something else that your product can do that is not that. Like obviously make it easy to share, but like the thing that you're building is probably obviously much more important and there's your energy is better spent figuring out how you can make that thing useful, not just you know, making the share button more. Before we end the episode, I want to thank both Gibran and Ollie for joining us. We often ask our guests, where can people get in touch with you? Because they got questions. They're going to ask you some great questions. Gibran, Ollie, where can they get in touch with you? I guess I'm most accessible on LinkedIn. Um, I, I realize that most people are going to say Twitter. Uh, I have a Twitter. I was uh, gonna say, I think you do. I have a so Twitter. So I want LinkedIn and Twitter. My my Twitter is is my just my first initial and last name, so it's J K U T I K. But you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm probably the only Jabron Qtick on LinkedIn. So feel free to look me up and send me an invite. I would love to talk. Um, if you tweet at me or if you send me a DM on Twitter, I'll get back to you eventually. Probably. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Go through Ryan. Okay. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with me, if you want to get in touch with me, send Ryan a DM and he'll text me. Go through Ryan. Ryan will handle all of my media inquiries or other. Man, this put a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. All right. All right. Fair. Fair. Um, also, I think also LinkedIn for me. I'm the just like you. I'm the only Oli Farshi in the world. Ooh. I think there's no others or Oliver Farshi. Uh, so go through LinkedIn or. If you really, really got to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, madebyoliver.com. And I think my email's on there. Recruiters seem to find my email through there. <laughs> I think you will too. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. We may as well, same thing. I mean, Jabron's already telling you all to contact me. So, Stacy, where can people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter at Stacy Londoner. And I'm on Twitter at Burgess D. Ryan. Uh, you can also find us if you, I, I saw like a couple hands that have listened to our podcast, but if you're wanting to listen to podcasts, you can find us on whatever, like to listen to podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, play, whatever it is. But you can also follow us on FrontendHH on Twitter and we have FrontendHappyHour.com. Yeah, any last words before we end the episode? Two, I think two things. I feel like I have like three sequels that we need to work on. We'll talk about that later. Oh man, there's so many sequels um, in this episode. And and also just I just want to say one more time, relationships. Relationships. Cheers. 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 Oh, and thank you all for coming out to Columbus. I appreciate everyone coming out to visit. I'm excited. Tonight we're going to see the best that Columbus has to offer. It's going to be great. And also thank you to Kevin Rapp, our... Is engineer the right word for what he's doing right yeah, now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Audio been, engineering. He's killing it Audio. over there. Everyone can hear us. So thank you, Kevin. Great. Thank you all for coming out.